Our scripture reading will be in John 19, verses 38 through 40. In the Red Pew Bible, that's page 906. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Take just a moment to remind you about our plan for the rest of this year in our Take 5 initiative, if you like to call it, uh, to remind us to all spend time at least trying to find someone that we don't normally talk to or, or maybe someone that's new and spend at least five minutes talking to them and getting to know them better. And part of that was our our name amnesty fall or winter as it is and, and trying to uh, give each other permission to ask each other our names or their names so that we can get to know each other better and, and that we're not going to have any judgment about if someone has forgotten your name. We want, we want to be a close church family and a, a body, a, a people that uh, know each other and work together and, and love one another. Part of, that, part of the name Amnesty and Take Five was also to, to move around and maybe find a different spot to sit and I'll let you in on a little, little secret. I like this spot over here because I, for some reason that spot, maybe that's, maybe the Simmons like you're I don't know, but those little corners, something about the singing there, especially this morning, your singing was, was wonderful and encouraged me. So thank you for singing out. In Romans chapter 12, verse number two, the apostle Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And as you think about the idea of transformation, I want us this morning to spend some time looking at the character in the book of John named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is someone that most people are familiar with from the third chapter of the book of John. And we'll talk about that for a few moments. We're also gonna see throughout the book of John his transformation the book of John, the gospel of John is written as is said in John chapter 20, verse number 31, that we might believe, that we might believe. And that's a key word in John chapter three and verse number 16, as you recall, perhaps one of the most famous and well-known Bible verses, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And what's interesting is you look through the book of John and you see the character of Nicodemus and his transformation. I believe that John, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is using the character of Nicodemus to help us to see what belief is really all about, to see the transformation from a man who believed in Jesus to a degree in John chapter number three, but actually fully believed in John chapter number 19. And so some of the material this morning is going to be a little bit of review from what we talked about in our Bible class on Sunday morning last week. If you've been in the auditorium, we've been studying through the book of John. 
But as is the case, we don't have enough time to cover every single lesson that we can learn from that wonderful gospel. And so I wanted this morning to pick up a little bit where we left off, but there'll be some review for those that, that were unable to be with us in Bible class here. But as we said, the whole goal of the gospel of John is to convince us to believe in Jesus. But what is that belief? What does it really mean to believe in Jesus? Does it just mean to believe that he existed as a person? Some people might believe that that's all that really means. But we're going to find out that the gospel of John reveals for us that there is so much more to us and show us what believing really looks like. Consider version number one this morning of Nicodemus. We might call him a closet believer a closet believer. It, it, it occurs to me, and you think about Nicodemus, and you shorten his name, you've got Nick, Nick at night. You know, if you remember years ago, you'd watch Nick at night on TV, right? And you think about Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night in John chapter number three. Go ahead and open up your Bibles there. We'll spend some time there here for a few moments, and we'll turn to John chapter seven and later to John chapter number 19. But I want you to see what it is that Jesus says to Nicodemus. When we first meet him, he's what, as we said, what we might call a closet believer, which as we'll find out is really no believer at all. When I say that, it's important for us to back up to John chapter number two, because as it stands, what's happening already in John chapter number two is that many people are believing in Jesus because of the miracles that he's been working. People are amazed by the things that he is doing. And so in John chapter two and verse number 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But notice verse 24, Jesus did not, as my translation says, commit himself to them. Or other translations might read, did not entrust himself to them. The word there for commit or entrust is actually the exact same word as is found in verse 23 for believed. So really what's being said is Jesus didn't believe in them, even those that actually believed in him. The idea is that these individuals were believers, but they were not saved believers. They were unsaved believers because what Jesus recognized was that these people believed in his miracles, but that belief didn't translate into anything in their lives. They weren't actually living a life that demonstrated that they really did believe. believe. It's not just a mere mental assent. That is to say that they accepted the facts about Jesus, but a true acceptance of the fact, as we'll find out, is actually a life that has changed to look like something different. It's supposed to be a, a belief that leads to a change in heart and a change in heart that leads to a change in action. And so that's where the conversation with Nicodemus comes in. John chapter two, the end, is actually t- tied directly to John chapter number three. John chapter three is a conversation with a believer that believed in Jesus's miracles. As he says, look at verse number two of chapter three. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He believed in Jesus's miracles, but Jesus expects more from those that want to follow him. 
Continue with me. Notice what Jesus says. Don't take my word for it, but rather listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus goes on to say, Nicodemus, it's all well and good that you believe in me, but really, in order for you to be someone that's part of my kingdom, that's of me, that wants to follow me, number one, you must be born again. Chapter three, verses one through six. Notice verse three, Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He goes on to say in verse five, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water, speaking of baptism, having your sins washed away. Romans chapter six talks about the fact that when we are buried with Christ in baptism, we come up to walk in newness of life. We're a new person. We're born again. We're completely different from that old man that we used to be. This would have been shocking for Nicodemus because Nicodemus was a Jew. And as we said last week, to be born a Jew was to be born right, at least in his eyes. To think about the fact that he was part of God's people and here comes Jesus, someone he thinks is coming from God, and Jesus says, in order to be part of God's people, God's kingdom, you have to be born again. In other words, to Nicodemus, your birth as a Jew, as a Hebrew, really doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things in God's new kingdom. And so what's shocking is that not only does Nicodemus come and profess <coughs> a belief in Jesus because he says, no man can do these things unless God is with him, but also Nicodemus is someone who was part of God's people, at least in his mind, as the Jews. But then on top of that, it would have been shocking to Nicodemus because Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. He was someone that was religious, someone that actually followed God, at least in his mind, as he should have been following God. And so that would have been shocking to him. What do you mean? I'm a Jew. I've just professed belief in you. <coughs> Excuse me. I've just professed belief in you, and, and I'm also a teacher of the law. And then on top of that, Nicodemus was also part of the Sanhedrin. He's part of the ruling or governing body of the Jews. He was in the upper echelon. He would have been considered to be the first to be a shoe-in into the kingdom, right? Alabama's always a shoe-in into, into the top, uh, you know, five every year in the, in the preseason rankings. It's like, it's a given, that they're going to be in the top five because they're so good every year. And so Nicodemus, he would have been thinking, I'm a shoe in. I, I'm a Jew. I'm a Pharisee, part of the Sanhedrin. But Jesus says, no. If you want to be part of my kingdom, you have to be born again. <clears throat> but not only that, he goes on to say, Nicodemus, you must fix your eyes on me. <clears throat> in verse 14, Jesus begins to introduce and remind him of the fact that in the wilderness that there were those that were dealing with an ailment and the only way that they could be healed was by looking at the bronze serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness. And just as the bronze serpent was the ticket to healings, Jesus says, so am I the ticket to healing. A healing from sinfulness and spiritual death. A healing that is destined for eternal life instead of eternal punishment. Jesus says, it's just the same with me. You cannot expect to find healing. You cannot expect to find your place in the kingdom without focusing on me as, Jesus later goes on to say in John chapter 14, the way, the truth, and the life. It's one thing to see Jesus as a healing influence. Nicodemus recognized that there's something special about Jesus, but he wasn't to the point yet that he says Jesus is the 
healing influence, the healer of all mankind. And so then Jesus goes on in verses 19 through 21 and lays down for Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you've got to make a choice. You've got to make a choice. Read with me verses 19 through 21. This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Listen, Nicodemus, the choice is yours. The thing with following me, though, is that once you choose to follow me, you have to be ready to be humbled. You have to be ready to have your sin exposed, the shortcomings in your life exposed. But for Nicodemus, this would have been intimidating. Because it's one thing for a sinner who everybody knows is a sinner, and the sinner knows he's a sinner, to say, I'm talking about a hardened, brazen sinner, right? Just living a life that is clearly against God. It's one thing for them to come to Jesus, because everybody already knows about their sin. But for Nicodemus, he's the teacher of the law. He's a Jew, he's, he's a Pharisee, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. It's intimidating to say, I'm going to come to Jesus because I need Jesus and I need his healing and I need his salvation. And so for Nicodemus, Jesus says, Nicodemus, you have to make a choice. Are you a closet believer this morning? This can be manifested in a couple of different ways. It can be manifested in, the, in a way that We might ask this, do you believe in God, but you're afraid of what that means for your life in terms of lifestyle changes? Maybe you're a closet believer in the way that, that, you know, okay, I I believe, I I accept that God exists, I accept that Jesus came and he died, but I I don't want to change anything, I don't want to do anything different. I really don't want to submit to God. I, I want to be my own person. I want to be my own God, if you will. Or it can be manifested in this way. Even deeply religious people can be blind and wrong about things. Nicodemus, the cream of the crop, at least in the minds of the people that day, he knew what he was supposed to be doing. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing at least in their minds. But even deeply religious people can be wrong and be blinded about things. And so the question is, what is it that maybe you're holding to as a belief or a doctrine or a mindset that you say, I know the Bible clearly indicates this, but I just do not see God that way. I I don't see God being that kind of God, but the Bible teaches otherwise. You have to accept it. You cannot be a closet believer that says, okay, I believe in God, but I'm just going to practice the things that I want to practice the way that I want to practice them. And so Nicodemus, in his conversation with Jesus, it's, it's kind of ended abruptly here at the end of verse 21. But as we said, I believe that the gospel of John, John through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to use Nicodemus as we progress to the gospel. So turn a few pages over to chapter number 7. And let's consider version number two of Nicodemus. What we, ha- what we have to do is, though, ask what happens between chapter, four and chapter, se- chapter three and chapter seven. In chapter four, we have the woman at the well. Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, and Jesus associating with Samaritans would have been 
shocking to the Jews. And so the Samaritans believe in Jesus. And so this starts to even more get the people, uh, the, the, the Jews, the, the ones that didn't like Jesus, riled up about him. Chapter five, Jesus heals a lame man on the Sabbath day. <laughs> they didn't like that. They completely ignored the fact that Jesus literally performed a miracle and healed a man who was lame, but he did it on the Sabbath. So Jesus was to be condemned. John chapter six, great multitudes are following Jesus and he feeds 5,000 people with just five barley loaves and two small fishes and and they continue to throng him and ask him for more signs. They they say, Jesus, show us some signs. But Jesus begins to teach that he is the bread of life, that he is more important than the physical signs and what what they were wanting to see and this stirs them up even more. And so while many people continue to follow Jesus, some began to leave him because though they liked the miracles, they began to think that his teachings were blasphemous. So division and wedge was driven further and further between the people. And then we come to John chapter seven. As, as the division and disagreements continue to swirl about Jesus, and what he's all about, the Pharisees are demanding that he be brought to them for questioning. And even going back to chapter five, some actually already wanted to kill, kill him. John chapter five, verse number 16. It's at this point that Nicodemus comes back onto the scene, right? John chapter three ends abruptly, with, at least his conversation with him, with Jesus. Things are getting riled up among the Jews about Jesus more and more. And then John chapter seven, come, Nicodemus comes back on the scene. But what we might say about Nicodemus in John chapter seven is that though he's transforming, he's progressing Version two of Nicodemus is he's still a fence straddler. A fence straddler. Read with me John chapter number seven uh, in verse number 45. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? In other words, if the Pharisees don't believe in him, what are you thinking believing in this guy? They said, well, I mean, this, nobody's spoken like this guy. I mean, he's something different. But they said, have any of the Pharisees believed in him? And here's Nicodemus. But this crowd does not, uh, have any of them, uh, this crowd, verse 49, this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. That's the Pharisees still talking. But verse 50, Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night being one of them, incidentally, by the way, Sometimes in scripture, there's names that are the same, right? We might have Philip and Philip. We might have John and John, John the apostle uh, and, and, and a different John. We might have Philip the apostle and Philip in Acts chapter eight, a different Philip. So what is it about John in his writing and by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that seems to indicate something important here in verse number 50? Nicodemus, in parentheses, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them. And then in John chapter 19, later on, we'll also indicate and note that the gospel of John does the same thing again. So to me, it's indicating there's something important here. We want to make sure that you know this is the same Nicodemus from earlier. The Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night is now at least, goes on, verse 50, saying something somewhat on, you know, the defensive for Jesus. That's what he says. Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, are you also from Galilee? Search and look for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And so 
what I want us to notice is that Nicodemus is making some strides. Before, he was a closet believer in the sense that he came to Jesus by night. And, and again, we don't know for sure why Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, but it's probably because he didn't want to be seen talking to this Jesus who the Pharisees were upset about. But at least here now, Nicodemus is saying, hey, wait, 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 just a second. Are we really going to just, you know, accuse and charge this guy before we've actually heard him out? This is what he says in paraphrase. Does our law permit a man to be condemned and sentenced without first giving him a hearing and hear his defense in order to determine the facts? So give some Nicodemus some credit here. At least he's somewhat trying to defend Jesus and, and the accusations that are being levied against him. But notice what Nicodemus doesn't say. Nicodemus doesn't say, number one, exactly what he said in John chapter three to Jesus. He doesn't say these words, I know that he's a teacher come from God. That would have been a pretty big thing for a Pharisee to say to some other Pharisees, but he doesn't say that here. He also doesn't say, no one can do these signs, which he says in John chapter three to Jesus. No one can do these signs unless God is with him. Again, would have been a very, very powerful thing for a Pharisee to stand up to the other Pharisees and say these words, the very words that he had said to Jesus. He also doesn't even say, hey, wait, 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 wait. You just said, have, have any of the Pharisees believed in him? Nicodemus would say, hang on, hang on. I'm a Pharisee, I believe in him. Yes, he stands up and says, wait, let's at least hear Jesus out. But he sure doesn't say, hang on just a second. Clearly, he's a teacher from God. Clearly, no one can do these things unless God is with him. And I'm a Pharisee after all, and I do believe in him. And he doesn't also say, in regards to their response about being from Galilee, Jesus being from Galilee, has, has any prophet arisen out of Galilee? Nicodemus doesn't say, God can use anyone from anywhere. God's powerful. He can use whoever he wants. In fact, some even believe that Jonah really was, Jonah, the prophet, the old, that he was from Galilee. So this was inappropriate for them to say from the, from the get-go. But this, this thing that they say about Galilee was actually a slap in the face because these men were most likely all from, from Jerusalem, a, more, a, a larger city, a, uh, not rural Galilee was, was a rural place in their minds. It was backwater. It was the country bumpkins, the country hicks, the people that weren't that smart. They didn't have as much intelligence or as much education as we do from Jerusalem. So are you from Galilee also, Nicodemus? And you can see Nicodemus at the beginning of John chapter 7, at least in our, when he's introduced, saying, hang on, let's, let's at least hear Jesus out. But then as they start to come back at him, he, you, know, you can kind of see Nicodemus shying away. Okay, okay, okay. So we might call him a fence straddler. One foot in with Jesus, the other still stuck in his past life. But we said he's transforming, right? And, and John is using these accounts to show us what belief really looks like. He came to him by night. At least now he's starting to say some things. In a moment, we'll talk about John chapter 19 and what we see different about Nicodemus. But before we move from the fence straddler idea... Ask yourself the question, are you a fence straddler? Will you sing this morning, blessed Jesus? Will you sing, I know that my Redeemer lives? Will you sing, Jesus is all the world to me? Will you sing, our God, he is alive, and then tomorrow morning go to work? 
And when asked what you did over the weekend, maybe shy away from the f- telling them that you were at worship. Maybe avoid the topic of Christianity altogether. Maybe not want them to know that you worshiped God. And so there's some other ways that maybe you might be a fence straddler. Does your life look the same on Friday night as it does on Sunday morning? I mean, really, what, think about what were you doing Friday night? Could that be reconciled with what you're doing here this morning? I'm not suggesting that this isn't where you should be. And even if you're struggling with things on Friday night, I'm not suggesting that this isn't where you should be, but the question needs to be asked. Are you straddling the fence with your life in regards to Jesus? Is the same phone screen that's showing your Bible verses right now the same phone screen that was showing something inappropriate last night or the night before or the day before? Is, is it being used in a way that's hypocritical, that's contrary, conflicting? Are the kind words and gestures towards people that you're using this morning as you shake hands with someone and smile the same attitude that's reflected in the way that you talk about them to other people? Are your children seeing in you the same devotion at home on a weeknight, the same devotion to God, the same desire to serve him on the weeknight as he's seeing in you or she's seeing in you this morning at, at worship? Are you a fence straddler like Nicodemus at this point? Though Nicodemus has made strides, one foot in and one foot out is not good enough for God. The good news is the story doesn't end here. Turn to John chapter number 19. In John chapter number 19, I believe that we see Nicodemus making the strides that he needs to make. Going from a closet believer to a fence straddler and now a humble servant. When reading about the the burial of Jesus, for some reason, what stuck out of my mind all these years was, was that Joseph of Arimathea gave up his, his tomb. I don't know if it's because Joseph of Arimathea kind of rolls off your tongue. It's kind of an interesting name, and I don't know. It just, for whatever reason, that's what stuck out to me. But it wasn't until not terribly long ago that I realized Nicodemus was there. Nicodemus was there, too. And somehow I had missed that part. Whereas it seems that Nicodemus was a fence straddler in John 7... It's reasonable now to see Nicodemus as a fully committed follower of Jesus. I submit to you three reasons, three considerations about Nicodemus in John chapter number 19 that would seem to indicate that Nicodemus has fully invested his life as a follower of Jesus. Consider this. Consider the inconvenience. His willingness to serve in John chapter 19 After this, verse 38, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body. And Nicodemus, who at first, again, as we said, we we noted, John indicates, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus bounded in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. 
It's one thing to read that off the page, right? They took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. It's another thing to be the one who picks up a dead body who takes some spices and ointment and rubs it on that dead body and wraps that dead body up with linen, carries that dead body and places it in a tomb. My grandparents passing away last year, it stuck out to me when the undertaker came, so we call them. And the fact that they came and they served our family and asked how it was that they could be of assistance to us. And and they took my granddad's body out of the room that I was in and took him away. It's not a a desirable thing. And I see here in Nicodemus, a man of, of, that's willingness to, has a willingness to serve, a willingness to deal with this inconvenience. Something to be said for a disciple that is fully invested in following Jesus is going to do some dirty work. That's not above saying, I'm going to wash the dishes at the next family circle meal. That's not above saying, I'm going to go over and, and maybe clean someone's toilet for them when they need it. What we have to realize is that, that following Jesus isn't just saying, I accept the facts. It's saying, I accept what comes along with being a follower of Jesus, and that means I'm going to be a servant. But not only that, we also see investment. Nicodemus brings along 75 pounds or 100 pounds, depending on the rendering, of a mixture of myrrh and aloes. That's a lot of weight. From being from the country, that translates in my mind to being a feed sack and a half. That's a lot of stuff. It's heavy. It's inconvenient. It's also an investment because, as we'll find out, 75 pounds or 100 pounds, some scholars estimate, was as much as $150,000 to $200,000 worth of myrrh and aloes. One writer says it was enough spice to bury a king royally. seems to indicate that Nicodemus, not only one that was willing to pick up a dead body, was also willing to bury him royally because he saw him as king. And then finally, we see perhaps some insecurity that would have existed when Nicodemus brings the body to the tomb and does the things with Jesus' body that he does. A willingness to suffer. Think about the fact that the Pharisees urged Pilate to place guards at the tomb of Jesus for fear of Jesus' followers coming to take the body and claim resurrection. It's not like the Pharisees were, were completely removed from the scene after Jesus' death, but rather they still very much wanted Jesus' influence to be squashed. They wanted everyone to be done with him. And so one has to think that anyone who would have been near Jesus' body would have been reported on to the Pharisees. And so very likely it's the case that when Nicodemus did these things, he was subjecting himself to scrutiny from the other Pharisees, perhaps even persecution, perhaps even ostracization. Are you a fully invested follower of Jesus? Are you someone that's willing to be inconvenienced because you're willing to serve? 
Do you sacrifice your time and energy to do things that are not all that pleasant for the sake of the name of Jesus? Are you willing to invest, perhaps even your own money, willing to spend for the sake of his name? Are you willing to endure and suffer persecution and difficulty as it's promised to us by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12? Yeah, all that live godly will endure, suffer persecution. That's what it truly means to be a servant. You see the transformation? From a closet believer to a fence straddler to a fully invested servant. If we were to look at the life of Nicodemus on that spectrum, where would you place your life? Are you over here with the closet believer? Or are you a fully invested servant? The more important question, though, is where would God place you on that spectrum? This morning, all it takes is a commitment, a dedication in your mind to say, I'm not going to straddle the fence anymore. If we can help you to do that, if you're not a Christian, and you want to be a fully invested servant of God, come now. But if you are a Christian, maybe you've fallen back to straddling the fence, we want you to make it right. If there's anything we can do, come as together we stand and as we sing.